With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thanksgiving is to Christmas Day. What SEC Media Days is to college football season. You feel me? Like we're right about that point where you can start looking over the horizon and seeing college football season right there. It's a beautiful time. It's a beautiful thing that we have it here in Nashville, Tennessee. We're actually going to be live in living color next week, Tuesday and Thursday at SCC Media Days. Welcome into the Hard Count, the people's college football show. For everything that you and I both know and love about this beautiful sport, it happens here every day. Like I said, we're live Tuesdays and Thursdays, 11 a.m. Eastern. We're so glad to have you here. Listen, we got a lot to get into. SEC Media Day is around the corner. Also, it is call your shot season, not prediction season, call your shot season. Last time we were on this show, Tuesday when we were live, told you our top five coaches in college football to, to, to today, Junior. All right, now we're calling our shot for the top five quarterbacks in college football, not today, but at the end of November. Okay, so this is a projection. This is not a ranking for right now. This is a projection when we get to the end of the regular season. There's been a lot of talk about Texas lately. They had their uh, media days yesterday. There'll be an SEC media day next year, I suppose. But Big 12 media day is currently getting after it. And the question has started to circulate on my own Twitter page. If Texas doesn't win the Big 12 in 2023, is that considered a failure of a season? I asked y'all's thoughts. We'll share that when we get to that segment, but it was uh, very fascinating, to say the least, to hear what y'all thought about that. I'll give you my own two cents. Pulse the Program series just keeps on rolling. Going to Ann Arbor, Michigan today. Take a pulse of the fan base and the building with the Wolverines. Because they're talking not just playoff, not just Big Ten title. They're talking national title in 2023. What do we think about that? What's the pulse? We'll break it down for you. There's also a list that's circulating right now for the rules for you and I to be a fan of a specific college football team? Like, are you allowed to be a fan of your favorite college football team? Well, we'll put it up against that list, but uh, I'll give you my own list. Spoiler alert, it's, uh, it's a pretty short list. Welcome in. We're so glad to have you here. We can't waste too much more time. Like I said, media day's around the corner. We got a lot to get into. It's July 13th, 2023, the last one in history. So we're going to choose to make it a phenomenal one. How do we do that? Well, let's jump right in and talk about SEC Media Days that are happening next week. So, SEC Media Days happening in Nashville, Tennessee. We will be there. We will be doing a live show on Tuesday and on Thursday. Do a ton of content from there as well. Andy Staples getting the podcast revved up next week. Going to be a lot of fun, so make sure you're tuned in for that one. On3 is going to be on the scene. And SEC Media Days, Media Days in general, are like a must-win like, you can't leave media days feeling like you lost. And the good news for most fan bases, it's, it's pretty tough to lose a media day. But let's take it a step further. What are some things that we should keep an eye out for and some things that maybe we need to pay attention to or that have our attention, rather, as we get into SEC media days? So one of the things that I'm keeping an eye on here, a lot of talk about Alabama this offseason. And not the talk that you and I are really used to hearing about Alabama, like usually it's, well, is Saban going to win another national title and all that they got coming back and Bryce Young and Will Anderson from last year. Like that was kind of the conversation around Bama previously. This coming season, there's a whole lot of, well, has Bama fallen off? Is Bama still Bama? And I'm just so curious to see how Nick Saban handles those kind of questions. How does Nick Saban handle the underdog questions? And for me, the thing that I'm watching is if Nick Saban seems like he's pretty calm and he's loose and he's having a good time and he's smiling him and Feinbaum are chopping it up and there's not a whole lot of like tension if it's a tensionless Nick Saban segment on Feinbaum and at SC Media Days I'm nervous for everybody else in the SEC because think about it this way if you're at the poker table and you got a winning hand and you know you got a winning hand what do you not need to do you don't need to one be overly emotional and be worried and, and be tight because you got a winning hand. Second thing you don't need to do, you don't need to explain yourself. You don't need to do a whole lot of talking. Because at some point in time, you're going to get to lay down that hand 
and show everybody, yeah, we're good. Royal flush. Check us out. So if Nick Saban's sitting on a royal flush and he knows it, I don't know that we'll for sure know that from SEC Media Day, but I'm just curious to get a temperature for what his aura is like at SEC Media Day. Because I'll say this, a lot of the external is saying what we just said a second ago. Bama's down. What are they going to be this coming season? They're like in the 120s in returning production. Who knows who's playing quarterback, new coordinators. But if we see Nick Saban smiling and having a good time, I think that's a warning sign for the rest of the SEC. So that's something I'm watching for at SEC Media Day. Really quickly, make sure you're subscribed with us here. We talk ball every day. You love this game. We love this game. We're less than 50 days away from the games actually being played. We're at SEC Media Day next week. Want you locked in with us, so make sure you're subscribed. We're also on podcasts, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get them. Type in the hard count with J.D. Pakel. You'll find us, all right? So thank you so much in advance for that. Uh, Y'all have been crushing it on on all platforms. So thank you for that. Uh, Now, we, we can't talk about SEC Media Days without talking about Lane Kiffin. And Lane Kiffin is so awesome because every time he touches a microphone, he has like that hold your breath factor. Like, oh, what's he going to say? Is he going to take a jab at somebody very subtly and tastefully? Is he going to say something that has, you know, a, a quote graphic kind of feel to it? And my question for SEC Media Day with Lane Kiffin is who is about to get trolled? Because it's going to be somebody, right? Like, I think Lane Kiffin... He, he doesn't take it too seriously, and I love that about him. There's something very relatable at Lane Kiffin, as wild as it sounds, with him being an SEC head coach and making millions of dollars and us being the people here. Like, there's something about Lane Kiffin you can't help but just gravitate towards, which wasn't always the case with Lane Kiffin, to be real, but I think at Ole Miss, he's definitely hit his stride. And the thing that I'm curious about when it comes to who he trolls and what that whole troll looks like as he's been known to do with social media and taking you know playful jabs at different head coaches uh there is no shortage of big matchups on Ole Miss's schedule and if he were to troll oh I don't know a Nick Saban or if he were to troll a Kirby Smart or a Brian Kelly or Jimbo Fisher again like that would juice up that matchup just a little bit more I mean they got A&M at home they got LSU at home They're at Bama, at Auburn, at Georgia. There's no shortage of big games for Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. I'm just curious if we don't just sprinkle a little bit more juice, a little bit more headline sauce onto one of those games for Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin. But I'm excited to see it, man. Again, every time he touches the mic, dude is must-see TV. So if coaching at some point in time isn't his profession, I would love, I would love to tune into a Lane Kiffin podcast. So I'll leave that there. Now, Josh Heupel is another individual that we will get to hear from at SEC Media Day. And for him, I just kind of get the feeling, based on what we know about him, that if he knows something, if he knows something, he's going to say something. And the reason why I say this is I rewind the tape back to right before the Orange Bowl. Tennessee's going in, no Hennon Hooker, playing against Clemson. All the buzz is on Clemson after they just put on a showing in the ACC title game, just throttled UNC. Cade Klubnick looked like the next Heisman Trophy winner. Like, there was a lot of buzz around Clemson. And Josh Heupel just was cool, calm, and collected, which isn't unusual for him. But the way that he spoke about Joe Milton before that game gave me supreme confidence Tennessee was about to do their thing and that Joe Milton was about to pop off. And so the way that he talks about Joe Milton at SEC Media Day, I think he has the opportunity to create some expectations. And I don't think Josh Heupel is going to write a check that Joe Milton can't cash. So what is what is the conversation for Josh Heupel around Joe Milton? Because before the Orange Bowl game, he essentially told us, and I'm paraphrasing here, he essentially told us, yeah, he's ready, he's prepared. Y'all are about to see tonight what Joe Milton's made of. Do we get that same kind of sentiment sentiment from him at SEC Media Day? I'm excited to see because I think it would say a lot about how he feels about Joe Milton and as a whole would tell us a lot about the direction of Joe Milton in this uh, and Hooker sized shoes he's about to step into. So excited to watch that. Keep a pulse on that SEC Media Day. Now, Jimbo Fisher, man. I love Jimbo Fisher and some people are a little bit prickly towards him for this reason. I love it about him. He has no poker face. Like you listen to his press conferences and what you see is what you get. 
He's not trying to really hide anything. And if he is trying to hide anything, he's not really doing a great job at it. And the, the interesting thing about him is everything that's happened this past offseason with Texas A&M, they brought in Bobby Petrino to be the new OC. So my question with Jimbo Fisher and A&M is, what is the irritation level for him when it comes to answering those Bobby Petrino questions? Because we saw that press conference when Bobby Petrino got hired. And it, I, I listen, I, I know Jimbo Fisher is pretty quick to answer questions to begin with and he's a little bit prickly to begin with in, in you know those kind of settings but it was a whole new level watching that press conference and how he talked about Bobby Petrino and how he talked about you know how they were going to divvy up the OC responsibilities did not seem happy <laughs> did not seem like he was excited about the direction that train was heading and so for this coming season and for SEC media days I'm just curious to to see how he answered those, because if I'm insecure about something, I will have more emotion attached to it, right? How much emotion is attached to Bobby Petrino questions for Jimbo Fisher? If Jimbo Fisher just seems pretty collected and, and he's you know answering those pretty directly and he's letting the reporter finish their question, I think that could tell us something. Now, we're extrapolating a lot from a press conference that we're going to get at SEC Media Day, but still, I think there's something to be learned about that session when we get Jimbo Fisher on at SEC Media Days. Last thing we got to talk about here, last thing I'm watching, among others, this is not an exhaustive list, but one thing I'm watching here is how Kirby Smart answers the questions he's going to get on the culture at Georgia. Now, for those of y'all that don't know, there has been several legal instances where the Georgia football team has had things that have come up in the news and things that have happened with them off the field. And some are relatively serious. Some are, you know, speeding. But for, for, for Georgia, there's going to be questions Kirby Smart has to answer, and, and rightfully so. I don't think we're going to get a lot from him. Like, I don't think it's going to be a thing where Kirby Smart just peels back the curtain and shows us everything going on within the Georgia operation because, quite frankly, good teams don't do that, and Georgia's a good team. But the reason why I want to get as much intel on this as possible is for Georgia, there's really two things that could stop them. The first is just a drastic, unforeseen drop-off in quarterback play. Like Carson Beck just is a version that none of us saw coming of a quarterback at Georgia. That's one thing. Uh, the second is just Georgia. <laughs> like, Georgia can beat Georgia, and for my money, that's going to be one of their best opponents they play all season. And you would imagine off-the-field things happening for Georgia open the opportunity for distractions, for issues within the team. Any number of things that you want to point to, you, you can point to with off-the-field distractions and that being a potential hindrance for Georgia. So with that being said, I, again, I, I don't know that we get a lot from Kirby Smart on that topic, but I'm just curious to hear how he answers those and, and how much he gets asked about that. Because I think it could get pretty repetitive for him, to be real. Like, I think there's going to be multiple questions asked to him about this so we'll see man i can't wait for sc media day we're going to be there live so y'all make sure you're subscribed and tuned in it's gonna be a real good time so thank you in advance for that thank you in advance for that and thank you in advance to everybody that has already liked the video i told y'all now we got a streak 11 11 in a row nick 11 in a row of 100 likes before we get off the air so if everyone just likes the video right now we'll be well over our goal and that would be phenomenal. So thank you in advance for that. Thumbs up button under the video. Again, 100 likes is the streak we got going right now. Let's make it Let's make it 12 in a row. We're at 11. Let's make it 12 in a row. But thank you in advance for doing that. All right. Now, this time of the year is talking season. And I like to call it call your shot season is what we're in right now in this program. Okay. And call your shot season is not prediction season. It is not predicting the college football playoff and who's winning whichever conference. For me, call your shot season right now is projecting the top five quarterbacks in November. So I want to make this as clear as possible. There are going to be comments under this YouTube video, not by y'all, but other people I already know that are having an issue with this list and processing this list as a power rankings going into the season. Okay, this is not a power rankings right now. This is a projection on what these players will do at the end of 2023, all right? So making sure we're all on the same page there. But the top five quarterbacks for me in college football in November 
are going to be as follows. So we're calling our shot here. But at number five, ma'am, I got Joe Milton from Tennessee. And Joe Milton in the Orange Bowl put on a clinic. Put on an absolute clinic. And for me, he's always been a powder keg kind of player. And so you take his physical tools. Dude has Uncle Rico arm strength, has enormous size, throws down backflips like Anthony Richardson, plus the weapons they have at Tennessee, Squirrel White, Dante Thornton, who's 6'5", by the way, Brew McCoy, who's a bully on the outside, plus Josh Heupel's offensive system, that equals boom for me. And the buzz out of Knoxville so far is that he is dialed in. Like all the reports that we've heard from people close to that operation are that he is looking good, which at this point in the year, you would hope everybody looks good, but he's looking like he is comfortable in the system. And I think him sitting behind Hendon Hooker may have been the best thing for his career that's ever happened. Got a chance to sit back, see somebody else do it at a really, really high level. And now is getting the keys to the offense. And I think he's going to do phenomenal things. Unreal ceiling, virtually has no ceiling. There's people in Tennessee that believe that if they go 9-3, and three, he'll be a top 10 pick. He has that much physical ability. And the offense itself, I think, is going to allow him to put up numbers along with what he's going to do in that offense. I want to make sure this is clear, though, when it comes to Joe Milton. This is a very different Joe Milton than the one that struggled at Michigan. Because that's kind of the punchline for a lot of people outside the Tennessee bubble is, oh, overthrow Joe. You saw what he did at Michigan. And it's fair to say that he struggled at Michigan. It's fair to say we haven't seen him in a 12-game setting just yet. 100% true. No disagreement there. But to just assume that he stayed the same player from his time in Ann Arbor to where he is now in Knoxville. Listen, Joe Milton's been through some stuff now. He's lost the starting quarterback job not once but twice. He's had to sit behind and watch Hendon Hooker. And I think for him, that will do a lot for the way that he is wired now competitively. I think it has hardened him. And I think it's going to lead to tremendous results from him for a leadership standpoint and on the field. So Joe Milton, for me, will be a top five quarterback when it's all said and done in the regular season. Make sure you're locked in. Make sure you're subscribed. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at JD Pakel. As we get rolling here now into the season, there's going to be some content on there that we do on those social media platforms we're not going to do on here. So to get the whole experience, to get the whole program experience, make sure you're following me there. But most importantly, make sure you're subscribed right here. Can't have any missed shows together, all right? We, we got to do this thing together now. We're jumping into the season. We, us, ours, okay? Here we go now. Number four quarterback for me at the end of November, end of the regular season, it's going to be Bo Nix. Now, Bo Nix from Oregon, new OC. Will Stein coming over to call the offense. Kennedy Lingham has gone to Arizona State to lead that whole operation forward. And my bet for him, the bet that I'm making, is that everything we saw last year with Bo Nix, I believe was real. Because you saw good Bo, you saw bad Bo at Auburn. I think last year's Bo was the real Bo. I mean, over 4,000 total yards, 29 touchdown passes, 14 rushing touchdowns. You know what a season like that does for a guy like Bo Nix, being able to just totally relocate out of his home state of Alabama? You know what that does for him? I think it provides confidence. I think now he's finally comfortable. I think he finally is in his own zone. And I think all of those things create a really solid foundation for this coming season. I know it's a new offense. I think it'll be a similar offense for him schematically in terms of what they ask him to do. I think it'll yield phenomenal results. And I think Bo Nix is set to pop off yet again. We saw the numbers last year. It's not a question anymore of, oh, can Bo Nix do it? Can he do it consistently? He did it consistently last year. I think if Oregon wins a few more games last year, Bo Nix is probably in New York City for the Heisman Trophy. So with that being said, I think he picks up right where he left off last year, and Bo Nix will be a top-five quarterback in college football. Mic drop, period, the end. Now, at number three, this is where it's going to start to ruffle some feathers, okay? Number three, I got Quinn Ewers. People are saying, well, J.D., he was so inconsistent last year. He threw 30 incompletions against Oklahoma State. There has been nobody that has been more critical of the inconsistency for Quinn Ewers than yours truly. But the degrees of separation for Quinn Ewers being a top five quarterback in college football and him not being a top five quarterback in college football where we are today, I don't think the separation is that far. Because I would ask you this, we saw Quinn Ewers play at a top five level last year at times, did we not? Game against Alabama. 
JD, it was the first half. I understand it was the first half. But in that first half, in, in that moment, the entire country was saying, oh my gosh, Queen Ewers and Texas are about to beat Alabama. And then he gets hurt. The game totally gets flipped on its side. Bryce Young does what he does. But you hear what I'm saying. For that moment, we saw Quinn Ewers live up to the billing he had as a recruit. Game against Oklahoma. Quinn Ewers just dealing darts on demand. Hat tip to our guy StatCat for that reference there. He's just absolutely dealing the pill like a shady pharmacist in that game. They go 49-0. He looks like the best quarterback I've seen in a Texas uniform since Colt McCoy. There's no question about the tools. There's no question about what he has under the hood. We've seen him do it. And Steve Sarkeesian said yesterday at Big 12 Media Day, listen, if we do what we're supposed to do as a team, if Quinn does what he's supposed to do, yeah, he probably is going to live up to that first round projection as an NFL quarterback that he's getting right now. Like, that's all real. And Steve Sarkeesian now, I don't think he would say that. I don't think he'd put that pressure on Quinn Ewers if he didn't have some sort of confidence in Quinn Ewers following through on that. Okay? Quinn Ewers, all the ability in the world. Entire offensive line back for Texas. Weapons on weapons on weapons. Xavier Worthy, Isaiah Nayor, A.D. Mitchell. Like, we go down the list here. Running game, I think, is going to be just fine. And I think the fact that Arch Manning was at spring practice maybe gave him a little extra push. Quinn Ewers used to be business in the front, party in the back. Shaved off the party in the back. No more mullet for the boy. Take of that as you will, but I think he's about to pop. I think he will be a top five quarterback when it's all said and done. And number two, and this is where there's no surprises, we got Drake May from North Carolina. And Drake May is just about to do more Drake May things in 2023. I mean, in 2022, over 5,000 total yards, 38 touchdown passes, seven rushing touchdowns. North Carolina, he just absolutely willed them to nine wins a season ago. When you look at Drake May in November, when you look at his body of work, make sure you look at his stats and not just North Carolina's record and then define him. Because like I said, last year, he willed them to, I believe it was, six one-score wins. That is a lot of games to come up on the right side of. So will that repeat itself? I don't know. No more Phil Longo. No more, you know, guy who was leading your offense at that point in time. Uh, the defense gives me a lot of hesitation. But this is about Drake May. And Drake May, to me, I call him no drama drizzy. Reason why I say that? You know what you're getting with him, man. We knew what we were getting with him as a recruit. Was committed to Bama. Goes to his heart and, and flips to North Carolina. There's no drama with him, man. He's going to walk out there every single Saturday, give you buckets. And that's going to be how we live. Probably will be the number two player selected in the NFL draft. No drama with him. He's about to ball. Just watch him do his thing. No drama, Drizzy. Now, at number one... This is who will be the first quarterback taken, the first player taken in the NFL draft, for my money. It's Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams, generational, will give USC a chance in every single game, in every single game they play, regardless of what that defense does. That's how good he is. In 2022, 42 touchdowns, 4,500 yards. His goals for 2023, he's already gone out and said he wants to throw 60 touchdowns. He wants to throw for over 5,000 yards. Dude is just special. Like, there's, there's not a lot to break it down here with Caleb Williams. Can run it, can throw it. But here's my word of advice with Caleb Williams if you're watching him this year as a college football fan. Really just appreciate this. Enjoy this time that we get Caleb Williams as a player in college football. Because I don't think we're going to see another one of him anytime soon. Appreciate him like how we appreciated Johnny Menzel, like how we appreciated Reggie Bush, like how you appreciate Vince Young. Like, I think he's in that category of special. I truly do. Already got one Heisman Trophy on the mantle back in L.A. Don't see a reason why he can't go get another one. Promise you that's probably on his goal list as well. Caleb Williams, special in every sense of the word. Let's really appreciate the fact that he's in college football for one more year. The best quarterback last year. Wholeheartedly believe he will be the best quarterback this coming season at the end of November. So for me, those are the top five quarterbacks. Joe Milton, Bo Nix, Quinn Ewers, Drake May, Caleb Williams. That's five to one. Two names that were left off. Two names that a lot of y'all were probably like, hey, where, where's this guy? And the, the loudest, I guess, objection we're probably going to get is Jordan Travis at Florida State. Not to worry, he is an honorable mention for me. And Jordan Travis, the big thing I'm watching for him, how do those transfers mesh for him? 
Because I think Jordan Travis has top five ability written all over him. Like, I'm not worried about Jordan Travis having the chance to be a top five quarterback. I'm worried about those transfers around him meshing. To be clear, they got some dogs now. I think Keon Coleman is about to have an enormous season. Jaheim Bell, going to be a guy for you at the tight end position. Johnny Wilson, going to go up and get it for you. Like, they've got some pieces now. They just all got to get on the same page. So Jordan Travis, I think, absolutely has a chance to be a top five quarterback in college football. One more guy I want to throw at you here, Carson Beck. Carson Beck is, I would imagine, everybody would imagine, is going to be the starting quarterback at Georgia. Hasn't been announced yet. It's pretty much how we all feel. And Carson Beck, to me, has the biggest what-if factor, the biggest boom factor, potentially, of this entire group, maybe next to Joe Milton. And the reason why I say that is, you saw what Georgia's offense was last year. You saw what Stetson Bennett did last year. And no knock on Stetson Bennett, but Stetson Bennett was a walk-on. Surprise, surprise. I know you haven't heard that five million times. Stetson Bennett walked on at Georgia. Carson Beck was recruited to Georgia. Carson Beck was recruited by a lot of places. And so that leads me to believe, just based on what God gave Stetson Bennett and what God gave Carson Beck, Carson Beck probably has a little bit more natural ability. Now, Stetson Bennett still has GOAT status in Athens. Don't get it twisted. But that still begs the question for me, can Carson Beck potentially take over the range of this offense with all the talent they have around him and go out and sling the pill. I think he can. And I was very, very close to putting both him and Jordan Travis in this top five. But watch Carson Beck. Watch him work. I don't know they're going to ask a ton of him early on. Probably get to see most of his ability in November and against Tennessee and should they play in the SEC title game. But Carson Beck and Jordan Travis both deserve top five consideration in that top five conversation. If you had him in your top five, no fault. Curious to hear what y'all say. So get at me on Twitter. Get at me in the comment section. Get at me in the live chat in here and let me know who makes up your top five list. Not right now. This is not a power rankings currently. I'm talking at the end of this season who will be the top five quarterbacks in college football. Excited to hear y'all's responses too. Y'all had a lot to say on Twitter, which was phenomenal. I saw Michael Penix Jr., who I think absolutely deserves some conversation to be in the top five as well. Uh, Some talk about Sam Hartman. He's probably in that conversation as well. They need some people to step up at wide receiver for Notre Dame for that to happen. But let me know what y'all think. I'm curious to hear there. Now, uh, another question we had on Twitter was, if Texas doesn't win the Big 12 title, let's say they don't win the Big 12 title, but they win a New Year's Six Bowl game, is that a failure of a season? Now, I throw that caveat of a New Year's Six Bowl win in there because I think that is probably important to consider as a possibility for Texas. But it, I mean, w- would it be a failure of a season? Because listen, I mean, Steve Sarkeesian and Texas, that they have been very, very open about it. It's, you know, SEC next year. That's the deal. That's the reality. We're all on the same page here. Someone asked him yesterday, SEC, uh, excuse me, I keep saying SEC Media Days. Someone asked Steve Sarkeesian at Big 12 Media Days yesterday, Will it be awkward at all with y'all leaving to the SEC next year? And I love it. This is why I love media days. He just says, it's not going to be awkward for us. I can't speak for other people, but it won't be awkward for us. Everybody's gunning for Texas this year. Texas, in most people's mind, yours truly included, is probably the favorite to win the Big 12 from a roster standpoint. So we'll kind of just narrow narrow down this question. If they don't win the Big 12, is that a failure of a season? Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you follow me on the socials. Make sure you like the video. Thank you in advance for that. All right, here we go now. The mission for Texas is very, very clear to answer this question. The mission is clear. The mission is win the Big 12. Okay, no way around it. You've built to a point like this. And if you're a Texas fan, you have every right, in my opinion, to expect Big 12 title results. Because, I mean, just look at what they have here. I mean, to start, you're Texas. And some people just kind of throw up in their mouth a little bit from me saying that let me finish you're texas in the sense that not just the logo but in how much you invest you have the biggest budget in college football last time i checked you have the resources and the commitment from an administration from a booster standpoint there's a lot put into texas and so when you put something in you expect something out how much have we talked about that you have a returning quarterback who's got first round buzz around him and steve sarkeesian said as much yesterday he's like yeah if we do what we're supposed to do Quinn Ewers, being a first-round quarterback, he probably should be one of those guys. He wouldn't just say that. You know, like, I I don't think you put that kind of pressure on your quarterback without feeling some level of confidence that he can make good on that. 
Okay, so Quinn Ewers, I think, is absolutely a big reason why you feel confident that a Big 12 title is in reach. On top of that, you have a really ideal roster setup. Whole offensive line is back. Got to have the big boys now to run the way that Steve Sarkeesian wants to run. You got a bunch of weapons, like just a, an embarrassment of riches with who you have catching the football for you. Jutavian Sanders, probably the best tight end in the Big 12. Xavier Worthy. I think is very reasonable to say could be the best wide receiver in the Big 12 if he does what he's capable of doing. Like, you, you know the list here. Eddie Mitchell, Isaiah Nayor, we go down the line here. You know you got some dudes that can go catch the rock for you. I think they have a stable in the backfield as well. C.J. Baxter, I think, could be that guy for you to have a big season at the running back position. I think it'll be by committee. Bottom line, the roster itself on the offensive side of the ball, and then defensively too, you have decent production coming back. You have right around 60-plus percent production back on defense from a defense that only allowed 22 points a game last year. So the roster itself is set up in a good uh, spot as well in the culture. Everyone loves to talk about the culture in Austin and what it isn't doing and the things they don't have. Like, now you're in year three of that culture. So what it looks like, we'll see. But all the buzz around it so far from people within on three and Steve Sarkeesian himself has been really, really positive. At year three, like, you should have your culture in place. If you don't, whole other conversation, probably got some other issues, but the culture is in a place where you probably feel good about it. But the Big 12 itself, too, another reason why you feel confident. Like, it's a pretty favorable setup for, for Texas. Like, Oklahoma, ton of question marks there. Probably the second-best roster after Texas. TCU played in the college football playoff last year. Played for national title last year. They bring back virtually nobody offensively. Who knows what Kansas State's going to be without Deuce Vaughn? Like, you look all around you, and there's so much pointing to, okay, this could be the year for Texas. This could be the chance for us to win the Big 12 right before we throw up the deuces and bounce to the SEC. So if I'm Texas, like, th th this, is, this is the expectation. This is the mission. No ifs, ands, or buts. That is the mission. Okay? So it's fair to expect, but is it a failure of a season? And I, I sprinkle in the New Year's Six Bowl victory conversation because I think that is something we have to consider for Texas. Is it a failure if that happens and you don't win the Big 12? Like, I think it's all about how you look at it. I'll walk you through that one more time. Let's walk through it together one more time, rather. Texas is, let's say they are 11-1. 11-1, headed to Jerry World, and they play a just all-out brawl of a game in the Big 12 title against Oklahoma. And Texas fans are going to hate the situation. Back and forth all game. You lose on the final play. Oklahoma kicks a field goal to win the Big 12 title. It stings. It hurts. 11-2 on the year. And you look up and say, okay, well, good news is, got a chance to go play someone in the Cotton Bowl. Chance to play someone really good in the Cotton Bowl. All right? Let's say you play Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. All right, let's say you got Texas and you got Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl and we're fired up. It's going to be a great matchup. Two top 10 teams. Let's get after it. Then you win the Cotton Bowl. You beat Ohio State or you beat whoever it is in the Cotton Bowl. Is that a failure of a season? Is that a failure of a season? Because Texas, keep in mind now, what, what would that mean if they were to have a year like that? What would that mean? It would mean that Quinn Ewers reached or, very, or was very close to reaching his potential. It means that culture was probably in a spot to where it is no longer the Texas cultures of, of, you know, years past, the ghosts of Christmas past. That's gone now. It also means that you won double-digit games, like we just talked about. 10, 11 wins? We'll take that to the bank. We're cool with that. Because Texas hasn't won more than eight games since 2018. Since 2018, they haven't won more than eight games. And you're telling me we get 10, 11 wins? And that's a failure? And we beat Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl? We beat any other team in the Cotton Bowl? Like, I don't know how you label that a failure. For me personally, it would be very difficult to call that a failure. Rewind the tape a little bit. Same kind of situation happened now. Remember this? Sam Ellinger in Texas losing the Big 12 title game. Go play Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. And Texas just did whatever they wanted against Georgia that day. I mean, to be real, I mean, Bevo had a good time. It was a good deal for Texas that day. Remember, lost the Big 12. Remember that. 
Sam Ellinger gets on the mic and says, we're back. Now, I know Texas fans cringe a little bit at that because what happened afterwards wasn't what Texas fans were hoping for. But remember how you felt in that moment? Didn't feel like a failure of a season. Felt like Texas was back. I mean, I was watching the game on the couch with one of my best friends, and we both were like, yeah, this kind of feels like they're back, dude. Kind of feels like the Longhorns are here to stay. Didn't feel like a failure. And so to put myself in that exact same situation for Texas, it'd be hard for me to label it a failure. Zoom it out a little bit. We're probably having the same questions about Texas this time next year that we would if they don't win the Big 12, right? Let's say they win the Big 12 or they don't. We're having the same conversation. And the conversation is, well, how do they stack up in the SEC? Well, sure, you feel better if you win the Big 12. Sure, you feel better if you make the college football playoff. Does that change the questions we're asking, though? People are still going to say, can they do it against Georgia? Can they do it against Bama? Can they do it against LSU? We'll find out. We're going to get there. It's going to be a heck of a time, man. I've already told you my feelings on that. It's going to be a real good time watching Texas play in the SEC. Those matchups are going to be fire. Cannot wait for that. But the questions are going to be the questions either way. So for Texas, here's what I think is a successful season. Here's what I believe you can go ahead and pencil in, for me at least, as a success for Texas. The first is at least 10 wins. Haven't won more than eight since 2018. Yeah, a two-win improvement, that would be a success to me. That'd be a testament to what Steve Sarkeesian has done since he's been there, and I think that would be a phenomenal step in the right direction. I don't think that's a failure. A Big 12 title appearance, okay? If you win it or not, and you win double-digit games, hey, I'm standing back here. I'm not going to go ahead and say it's a failure. You got to at least be in the dance because the roster is too good. The expectations are too high. The investment is too great. I think Quinn Ewers is too good. They have too much there to not at least play for a Big 12 title. Just get in the building in Jerry World. Just let us in the building and let's roll. Like that's my attitude if I'm a Texas fan. I can't have any Bueller moments. You know what I'm saying here? I can't have any games where we sit down on Saturday and it's like, midnight maybe it's 1 a.m on sunday and we're watching college football final and matt barry and the boys are up there talking saying man where was texas they've been playing so well recently and they just didn't show up it was a true bueller moment they were not in attendance that can't be any situation you find yourself in for texas that's not the sign of a good culture good cultures are consistent it's what steve sarkeesian has worked hard to implement that can't be the case that would be a successful season if they're able to avoid those. Now, I sprinkled this on here now because I think it's, it's important for how you feel to end the year now. I need a New Year's Six Bowl victory. Need a New Year's Six Bowl victory. All right? I need that for it to be a successful season for Texas. And most of that is optics. Most of that is how you feel trending to the SEC. If you go to a New Year's Six Bowl and you lose, like, it'd be great to make it. It'd be really hard to say it's a failure, but I think you absolutely call it a success if you were to win the New Year's Six Bowl. Now, here's another thing we're not talking about. Texas has got a number three class on campus from the 2023 cycle that includes Arch Manning. So regardless of how this year goes, there's going to be reason for optimism as long as Arch Manning's on campus. I think that's worth considering. But those things for me, I think, would make up a successful season for Texas. The mission is clear. But a failure if you don't win the Big 12, but still winning your six bowl? I'm not here to, to make excuses for anybody in Austin. That's just my two cents on it. Let me know what y'all think, though. We, we put out a Twitter poll. I should have put this in the, in the cut, unfortunately. I should have put this in our segment. Put out a Twitter poll and asked y'all, and 60% of the vote, 2,000 plus votes, said it would not be a failure if Texas loses the Big 12, but wins a New Year's six bowl. So that's not necessarily definitive, but 60-40. Just curious. Would like to hear from you all in the comment section as well as to what that looks like going forward. Hey, also, big shout out to the program. Big shout out to the program. We're through two segments. I guess we're through, we're through three segments, but we probably passed it through two. Over 100 likes. Thank you so much. That's 11 in a row. That's a testament to y'all. Thank you so much for that. All right, let's keep on rolling here now. Make sure you get your questions and your thoughts to the Keeper of the Q, Nick Brake. Listen, he's going to talk about it when he gets on here. Uh, my boy is batting 720 when it comes to the kickball right now. All right, dude is nice. Dude is nice. Teams in Nashville, be warned. Uh, let's keep on rolling here. Pulse the program. Goes to Ann Arbor, Michigan. What is going on with Jim Harbaugh and the boys? And if y'all are new to this operation, we did not misspell program. 
We said exactly what we meant. Program with the U. Because teams that win big games in November, that win New Year's Six Bowls, that win their conference title, they're programs. That's what Michigan has been the last two years. So the way that we look at this, we take a pulse of two things. One, the fan base. Hey, what's going on? People in Ann Arbor, how are you feeling going into 2023? And then as best we can tell, what's the pulse internally? What's the feel within that, that building right now as they go into 2023? So without further ado, the pulse at Michigan, the pulse of the program at Michigan is let's dance. That's how the fan base feels. Because for so long for Michigan, it was like, man, if we could just beat Ohio State. They went eight years in a row. They hadn't beat the Buckeyes. And now the last two, they're two for two. They're hearing the music playing. Beats bumping a little bit. The BPMs are starting to pick up. They're like, all right, let's dance. Because they feel like we want to go win the big one now. And we'll talk about the internal feel in a minute. But they've tasted a little bit now, has that fan base. They want more. They got the appetizer. They got the appetizer. They loved it. They got it two years in a row, actually. Made the college football playoff. Probably woulda, shoulda, coulda last year against TCU. You do enough to lose that game. That, that's not going to be good enough anymore for that fan base. They're trying, to get, they're trying to get their party on here in Houston. They're trying to go win a, a not just a college football playoff game, they're trying to go win a national title. And they have been very open about that. For the first time in a while now, the music is playing in Ann Arbor. And that fan base is getting to dance. And they love it. Don't stop the party. Don't stop the music. Let's dance. Let's keep this thing going. Let's keep this dance going. Let's keep this show going all the way to a national title. That is the feel within that fan base. And as these things usually go, that same pulse overlaps into what's going on internally. Because internally at Michigan, they're like, hey, let's dance in the sense that you know where to find us. Anywhere, anytime, any place, we'll play in the parking lot at, at a TGI Fridays. We do not care. Let's dance. We're here. We're making it very, very clear what we're after. National title. We got the Big Ten ring. We got that two years in a row. Cool. We want the big one. And they feel like they have everything to do it, and for good reason. They got a top five returning production in the country at Michigan. Got your quarterback back who has dynamic ability throwing the football dynamic in the run game, the best backfield in the country, a bunch back on defense, continuity at the coordinator spot, more or less. Got Jim Harbaugh running the show. The culture is solid. Everything is there for Michigan. They're not hiding from anybody. They are the one who knocks at this point in time. It's them in Georgia. Like, they've been very, very open about it. They have a beat Georgia period at Michigan. And I love Jim Harbaugh for that. Setting the standard, making it very, very clear. Hey, you want to go win the big one? Probably got to go beat Georgia. Because they got the cup right now. Two years in a row. I love that for Michigan. I love they're setting their sights on that. Because I think there's some legitimacy to the whole concept that you have to be the first one to see it. And Michigan, even when they weren't beating Ohio State, they were seeing it. There was that confidence. I remember clear as day going into that game against Ohio State. Michigan wasn't doing yapping, but they were doing some talking. In the sense that, hey, all we know is beating Ohio State right now, was what J.J. McCarthy said. So we're, we're trying to keep that rolling. And there was a feeling of, wow, Michigan really feels good about this. They have a lot of confidence. And that's not necessarily uncommon with great competitors. But even so, to say something and then to make good on it, to back it up, they didn't feel differently after that game than they did before that game. Now, don't get it twisted. It was nice to win. It was nice to beat Columbus as a stadium, it was nice to beat Ohio State. Like, they felt good silencing everybody there. But even so, it wasn't like shock and awe and party. It was like, cool, we do what we're supposed to do. Let's roll. Big Ten title, national title. Was the feel last year as well, but they're chasing it this year. It's no secret now for Michigan. Let's dance. Let's do this. That's exactly what they're feeling. So how does this happen? How do they, how do they go and accomplish their goals? Before we get to that, make sure you're locked in. Subscribe before you get out of here, all right? Make sure you subscribe to this channel before the end of the show. Thank you so much for that. Pushing to 100K, come be a part of it, all right? Thank you for that. Okay, now how does this happen for Michigan? How do they get it done? I think it goes back to the way they can attack. And this is something that we've talked about a couple of times for Michigan within this show, it's something that we've you know, made clear with how we feel about the Wolverines, but a lot of what they're going to do this coming season with achieving their goals is going to be on the pass game. 
Notice what I did not say. I did not say it's on J.J. McCarthy. Now, the pass game as a result, responsibility probably shifts to him quite a bit being the quarterback, and I promise you he wants it no other way. But even so, you got to have some receivers really step up here. Colston Loveland at tight end, too. I think he really needs to be a guy that jumps into a new gear as a sophomore next year. He popped off against Ohio State, man. I'll tell you what, I think that kid's a player. Have a breakout season this coming year. But for Michigan last year, they averaged 219 pass yards a game, good for 79th in the country. Now, what that stat doesn't say is how much they ran for. They ran for over 200 as well. So when you're running for over 200, you're probably not just airing it out. But to me, it's all about having the ability to be able to, to, to throw the ball deep, to be, to be able to keep the defense honest. Because when it comes to what Michigan's going to do and, and when they end up playing a Georgia or a Bama or a LSU or whoever it is, the trenches is going to be what it comes down to, right? Can you keep a team from stacking the box? And when they do stack the box, can you make them pay? We say it a lot on here, and I don't mean to repeat myself too, too much, but a lot of y'all that are new to the show, here's what I say about Michigan. They remind me a lot of a boxer. They have a tremendous right hook. The right hook is knockout nine times out of 10. All right? And what makes Michigan scary is if they get that counter move down, if they get a jab to go with the right hook, they get an uppercut to go with that right hook, like that's when I'm like, okay, I don't know how you fight Michigan. I don't know how you defend them offensively because the defense is going to be good, should hold down their end of the bargain, top 10 defense in the country last year, bring back a lot of the boys. Like we should be in good shape defensively. Offensively, if we're able to throw that right hook whenever we want, but also have an equally strong left jab, like, okay, now, how do you defend us? Even more so going into the game, you're probably having to account for both. You can't just stack the box from the first snap. You, you got to make sure that you are playing us honest the entire game all four quarters and if they can do that that's the next evolution I think for this offense for JJ McCarthy for Cornelius Johnson for the rest of that receiving core like that would be the world that I think you want to live in if you're Jim Harbaugh and have that attack available for you it's all about options all about keeping the opposition off balance but for Michigan the pulse internally the pulse of that fan base music is playing now they're feeling good I don't know if it's like a house beat maybe it's like I think that's uh Typically what goes on in, in the uh, the break household while they're cooking dinner, that's kind of the, the jam that's playing. Same thing at Michigan. They are dancing right now with that fan base, and they're looking for a dance for anybody that'll take them when it comes to the field within that team. They're ready to roll. All right, so for Michigan, that's the pulse, and uh, I'm excited to see what happens, man. I, I would bet, Nick, that we get out to a game in Ann Arbor here before it's all said and done. That would be phenomenal, man. The big house, ooh one of the cathedrals of this great sport. I hope it happens, man. And I have a very, very strong feeling that uh, that could be a, oh, I don't know, week 12 situation. So keep an eye on that one. Thanks, everybody, tuned in live. We appreciate y'all, man. There's been a list that came out. There's a list that came out from Captain Collins, who works for Barstool. And I've never met Captain Collins. I have nothing against him personally. I have nothing bad to say about Captain Collins. However, I do have something to say about the list that he released. And the list is... Rules to be a fan of your college football team. Like, essentially, it's breaking down. Do you have the right to be a fan of your college football team? Well, if you fit this criteria, or one of these criteria, rather, then you do. So the list is as follows. One, your alma mater. Did you go to the school? If you went to the school, great. You can root for them. Second rule, did a close family member go to that school who then passed on their fandom to you? If they did, great. You'd be a fan of that school. If not, you didn't go there. Hey, sorry. You're out of luck there, brother. Third rule he has. Are you from the state that the school is located in? So if I'm in Ohio, if I am in Dayton, Ohio, but I didn't go to Ohio State and none of my family members went to Ohio State, no worries. You still live in the state, so you can root for the Buckeyes. If not, though, if you're in Florida, no family, you didn't go there. Nobody went there that you know, like, Hey, sorry, no go for this list. That's, that's what the list says. It's not my list. I'll give you my list here in just a second. But that's what the list says. Now, the last question or the last criteria is you work for the school that you root for. Okay, so that's fair. So I'll say this. I don't think any of these criteria are incorrect in the sense that, you know, if, if you have any of these ties, like, yeah, that makes sense why you're a fan. But here's my question. What if I live in Maine and none of these apply to me? 
I love the University of Texas, but I didn't go there. I don't work for them. I don't have any family that went there. I'm obviously not living in the state of Texas and I live in Maine. What are my options? Is, is it, am I not allowed to be a college football fan at Texas or am I not allowed to be a college football fan at fill in the blank university? So I asked y'all on Twitter and we got a lot of phenomenal responses from y'all. Y'all were saying that you had no rules. Y'all were saying, you know, you have to just have gone there. Like there was a lot of different opinions on this. I wanted to give y'all my list. And it's a very, very short list. There is one rule. We have one rule within this program for being a college football fan. It's very, very simple. It's actually one rule, one word. And that is loyalty. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care where your mom, dad, sister, brother went to school. I don't care if you work for the school. I don't care if you live in the general vicinity or the state. I don't care if you live two states over from that school. If you are loyal, if you are ride or die, up on Saturday morning, wearing the apparel, live and die with your team by the end of that four quarters, like you're a college football fan, man. Because college football, the beautiful thing about it, the reason why we love it, it is a we thing. It is an us thing. It is a community thing. And I don't just mean like your, your close friends and I don't just mean like your family. I mean like all of us together. Beautiful thing about it. You can meet anybody anywhere and you say, hey, go Knowles. And they're wearing a Florida State fan and they said go Knowles back. Y'all are automatically boys, <laughs> right? Like that's the beautiful thing about it. It connects us. It's an us thing. I don't need you to check a list for me. I just need you to be ride or die with my team. That's it. You can't go jump and ship. You can't wear a, a Buckeye shirt one week and the next week be rocking the maize and blue. Like, that's not how it works. That's the only rule I have. I need loyalty. I need loyalty. That's it. That's, that's what, that's what y'all need. If you're a fan of any given team, same deal. If you're with us, be with us in the highs and the lows. Heartbreak is what makes great sports fans. Heartbreak is, is, is what makes sports so great because that makes the victory so, so sweet. So, so sweet. So for us, it's loyalty. That's it, period. Mic drop, the end. It's an us thing. College football is not a gatekeeping sport. Nothing against Captain Cons, but I think those rules, if you don't check any of those boxes, I'm not worried about it. If you're loyal to the soil, if you're loyal to your team, you live and die on Saturdays with your team, man, you have a spot here on the program. You can root for whoever you desire. It's got to be loyal. So let me know what, what y'all's rules are, man. Get in the chat and let me know what are your rules to being a college football fan. We, we got some great responses on Twitter. Like I said, uh, one of my favorite responses was there are no rules. There are none. You know, I don't have a problem with that either. But I think that probably automatically implies that loyalty would have to be there as well. Now, let's get to y'all's thoughts, feelings, concerns, and questions when it comes to this beautiful game. Let's bring in the best producer in all the land, batting 720 when it comes to kickball. Nick break. Nick, how we doing, baby? How's the leg? <laughs> the leg's good, man. It was it was quite good last night. Uh, we lost, so I guess that's all that matters. But, you know, first inning, fourth down the batting list. Had a nice two-run homer to get things going. But, uh, yeah, we move forward. We batting move cleanup. Yeah, batting cleanup, dude. What's the recovery like? You get a little uh, little ice bath. We get you a little deep tissue on the hamstring. We get you a little you know, Normatec boots to get the legs right? Like, what's the recovery like after, you know, the strain that is the kickball season in oh, National man, Tennessee? Oh, man, you know, a couple Gatorade chews. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No Gatorade chews? Nothing? No well, recovery? my show, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, comes on third, okay. uh, Wednesdays at 9, so I got to get home, take a quick shower, walk the dog, uh, watch, the, watch the show. Man of principle. Man of principle yeah. and routine. That's yeah. how you bat 720, folks. What's the, uh, the good people saying, Nick? Well, Callup, who's uh, giving us a couple of super chats, appreciate it. Uh, my bold prediction is Texas, Michigan, Notre Dame, and a surprise team make the college football playoffs. I think my top quarterback will be Bo Nix, followed by Sam Hartman. Mm. Asked a question for you, JD. Says, uh, question for Big Dog Bakel. Are you over or under on Drake May and his capabilities as an old-school dream season player? Old school dream season player. You're going to have to make sense of that one for no, me. No, I think so. I, I uh, If I'm getting the gist of what he's saying, that makes it sound like Drake May being able to will North Carolina to win in the ACC or to winning, you know, uh, uh, or I guess getting to the college football playoff. That's kind of the way I'm interpreting dream season for North Carolina. I'm so in on Drake May. Like, I, I bought all the stock on Drake May. I call him no drama drizzy. If you watch this show at, at you know, up to this point. Uh, I'm out on North Carolina having a dream season. 
Drake May is phenomenal, but he don't play defense. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the defense in North Carolina has got issues. I think the loss of Phil Longo for North Carolina could be something to watch. But again, I think Drake May is going to be great. I think he's going to be phenomenal. I think he's going to put up big numbers yet again. What you see is what you get with him. He'll be a top three pick, but I don't believe North Carolina is going to be a, a dream season. I like the playoff pick, though. We got Texas, Michigan, Notre Dame, a little bit of a surprise team there. That would mean that Notre Dame then, Nick, probably went, if not 12-0, and 11-1. And they have Ohio State, Clemson, USC all on the schedule. Like, that would be an impressive run for the boys out there in South Bend. So, could happen. Yeah. Could definitely happen. I like it. It could. Uh, Todd Packer. Welcome back, Todd Packer. Mm. We always like having you in the show. Friend of the program. Yeah. Down there in Tallahassee at uh, Sabre Corporate. Uh, hashtag AskJD. Who could be on the surprise? Who could be the surprise quarterback that no one is talking about this season? And he's going he's gonna to lose you here. And why is it Heismertz? Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. Top Packer down there at Sabre. Is it Sabre or Sabre, Nick? Part of the U.S. Sabre? I think it's Sabre. No, it's Sabre. You always gotta get the OG. <laughs> uh, for those of y'all that watch The Office, if you haven't yet, go check that out. It's probably the best show uh, ever. Uh, to answer the question, uh, if if Graham Mertz were to be in that Heisman conversation, I mean, I think you're you're automatically saying he's a surprise quarterback. Uh, let's see, surprise quarterbacks. I'm just kind of going down the list here, Nick, in my head. Uh, I'm very, very curious to see what we get from these new starters across the board. Like, I think Bama, you got to look at as a ripe spot for a quarterback to, to jump out and do some good things. Grant Mertz would obviously be a surprise if, if he were to be in the Heisman conversation. I'm trying to think who else. DJ Uyunglele, I think, has a chance to really resurrect what he's done so far in college at Oregon State. So there's a couple of guys that I don't know if I put surprise as much as sleeper on the label for them. Um, but Alabama feels like maybe that obvious answer to say, okay, there's low expectations. They bring in Tyler Buckner. Everyone's down on Bama. And then someone goes out and plays phenomenal, and Alabama goes up being in the SEC title race. Like, that would make a lot of sense to me. Um, that's the way that I'm leaning right now, Nick. JD. Good um, question from Pack, though. Good, good job, Todd Packer. Um, got a response from the the Dr. RJP program. How about program? You want to address this uh, not-so-spelling error really quick? You want to <laughs> tell the people what the program I is? I love it, man. I love it. So there, there's a couple of facets to this program. For those of y'all that are new, one, welcome. We're very, very glad to have y'all here. This is your one-stop shop for all things college football year-round. We love y'all being here. So program originated as a little bit of a joke with me and my buddies, okay? Because you got Nick Saban, you got Dabo Sweeney, you got Kirby Smart, all saying program as program got that southern twang and that's kind of their deal but the thing that i thought was interesting all of those coaches that say program guess what they do they win a whole lot of football games and one of the ways they win the football games is focusing on process focusing on how they do things not worried about the external they're all about the internal and that's how i like to think that we operate as an audience and as a show right here a lot going on you got you got a lot in the media you got a lot of people saying different things we're not worried about the outside noise we care about the game we care about college football care about the beautiful thing that is college football. We're not worried about the negative stuff surrounding the sport. This game has so much that we love about it. It brings so much of us joy. It's why we talk about it every single day. For so many of us, it's an escape from what we got going on, whether it's personally, professionally, like this is a beautiful thing. And so we focus on that. We, we celebrate that. We enjoy that together. It's a community of people going back to program. What is a program? It's a team. It's a collection of people. It is a collection of college football crazed individuals, 365 days a year, and we celebrate it accordingly. So for us, that is what the program makes up. Program is great. You can take mm -hmm. program, but program is what we got right here. Yeah. Great question, Nick. That's a phenomenal yeah. question. Uh, shout out to the Dr. RJP. He says, you got it. I don't think I've seen RJP. you in the comments or in the chat before, so if you're new, welcome. Um, he says, there are no rules to be a college football fan. Good man, RJ. Hey, yeah. Good man. Yeah. And, and that's man, a uh, that's RJP. a question that uh, someone else was asking um, earlier in the chat. So people were talking about your uh, segment. We'll get to that later if we've got some time. Yeah. Uh, but first, Michael Stamper says, "Is Frank Harris, uh, you know, UTSA Roadrunners oh, yeah. quarterback, is he the best Group of Five quarterback in college football?" Agent Zero, baby, at UTSA. <laughs> Agent Zero, dude, he's a dog. Like, if you're not watching UTSA football, I hear you. I get it. But you're missing out on watching Frank Harris sling the rock around. I mean, he's probably definitely one of the best G5 quarterbacks. You can make a very real conversation for him being a top 10 quarterback in all of college football. Like, he's that good. Now, loses Will Stein. 
He's not gone to Oregon. So how does he look without the OC? We'll see. But the ability for him is real. Fun player to watch. A lot of dual threat ability. Uh, definitely a top quarterback at the G5 level, Nick. I, I love that. A little bit of G5 love today. Yeah. Uh, G5 so I, love from the operation. I, I posed the question, who is the best um, G5 quarterback in college Ooh, football this season? Dang. Some good answers. Frank Harris, obviously, from Michael Stamper. Austin uh, Taylor Green, boys in uh, Boise State, and then I heard Grayson McCall, and I think you're about to say Austin Reed. Grayson McCall, Austin Reed's probably got to get some love too. Can't I'll say Frank Harris right now, though. I'm gonna say Frank Harris right. I now. think so too. Look, the stats do not lie. UTSC, as Mike says, WKU's father right now. They they kind of wow. run WKU at least at the at the moment. Um, I did mention um, some some questions about the segment you just talked about, JD. Mm. And Jerry W says, are people who watch and follow only one team, their own team, are they real college football fans? Hmm. That is a very good question. And I think you would get different answers across the board from people. I'm going to go ahead and say yes. Because if you're a real college football fan, quote unquote, and you only care about one team, well, you still care about who you play week in and week out. Like I would say, there, there's a lot of people I've met being from, I say from, living in Atlanta, I guess you can call me from Atlanta, call me from California, call me from wherever you want, just make sure you call me in time for dinner. Uh, for, for the people in, in the SEC country, there are people that care about Alabama football and they could not care less about any other sport. NFL, NBA, I mean, NHL, you name it. They only care about Alabama football. But even so, they still have some skin in the game when it comes to playing Georgia, when it comes to playing LSU, when it comes to playing Kentucky. So, that's fair to focus on just your team. I mean, you're only a fan of one team, so I get that. But I think at the same time, you appreciate and enjoy the sport as a whole. So to answer your question, yes, I believe that you are a college football fan with only interest in one team and one team only. It's a diehard. That's a, that's a diehard approach, yeah. too. I love it, man. I agree. What do you think? Two more, Nick? Two more. Let's Shout out Corn Dog. Said he's been here for a few weeks. They've been here for a few weeks. Love the program. Can't mm. wait for the season. We agree, Corn Dog. Thanks for joining us. So you said two more, man. There have been some terrific questions. I love it. But I think this one is has got the word hot. It got the words hot take to start. So <laughs> we'll probably ask it. Caleb Wilson hashtag AskJD hot take. South Carolina beats Georgia week three. What are your thoughts? Definitely a hot take. <laughs> On the hot take meter, is it Ghost Pepper? I don't know if it's Ghost Pepper. It's definitely somewhere in the range of like very, very spicy buffalo. Like there's probably a label on it on the menu like, hey, if you don't like spicy food, this is not for you. We had a segment, I want to say it was three, maybe even four weeks ago now, that was begging the question, who could beat Georgia? We're not calling our shot for anybody to beat Georgia, but who could beat Georgia? And South Carolina, I think, is one that you have to circle on the schedule for them as a team that you just can't count out. I mean, case in point, look at what they did to end last season. Double-digit dogs, two top 10 teams, both-handed L's on the way out. So I think for Georgia, the, the one area that Rusty Mansell from Dogs HQ, who is the GOAT in the Georgia space, so make sure you're tuned in with him and tuned in at Dogs HQ, doing everything that you need when it comes to Georgia. We asked him the same question. How, how, how do you beat Georgia, Rusty? Like, if there's one area that you can beat Georgia in, what is it? And he was very quick to say, you got to win one-on-one. -on -one. You have to find a way to win one-on-one -on -one against Georgia. Look at what Marvin Harrison Jr. did in that college football playoff game. Like, that was the kryptonite for them. Now, is it this coming season? We'll see. But you look at who South Carolina has in Juice Wells at wide receiver now. That's a dude. That's a dude with a whole lot of what-if factor to him. Spencer Rattler, did they get good Spencer Rattler in week three against Georgia? If they do now, whoo. Just keep an eye on it. It might be one of those games that you're, you know, kind of flipping across the channels and you're seeing what's on. It's a beautiful thing. College football's back. And maybe you just see it on the ticker. Whoa, 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 whoa. 14-21 going into the third quarter in Athens? Whoa, okay. All right. Let's see what that looks like. The fact that it's in Athens, you don't love if you're a South Carolina fan. But even so, there's a... There's a way that it happens. Now, how wide is that path? I would say you probably can't fit two people on it from a width perspective, all right? Probably a tightrope you got to walk. It's college football. Anything's possible. Mm -hmm. But a little bit hotter on the, on the take scale, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay, one more question. That's all we got time for, like you said. Uh, shout out to Zach, um, to Turner, to Hayes to Rocky Top Tom, mm. uh, to Byron, to Dalton. A lot of other questions we're not going to get to today. Come back on Tuesday. We'll get to it if we can. Um, thank you all for commenting, but we're going to end on a question from Yash. 
Hashtag, hashtag AskJD, do you believe Bama is more likely to lose away to Texas A&M or to LSU at home? Great question. Nick, great outro by you, by the way, too. Thanking the people, letting them know to come back on Tuesday. That's great. Also, make sure you follow me on Instagram, at JD Paquel. I alluded to it a little bit earlier in the show. We do some Q&As on that channel, all right? We do some Q&As over there on the Instagram platform, and we don't just do that anywhere and everywhere. We don't do it all the time, but make sure you're following me there, and we do pose the opportunity for y'all to ask some questions. Probably going to do that actually this week so we can make sure we, we get that revved up a little bit and get some of y'all's questions because Nick said a lot of great ones in the chat. Come back on Tuesday so we can get after it as well. Same time, 11 a.m. Eastern. We'll, we'll have a real good time. Live at SC Media Day too, Nick. How about that? Let's do it, man. Should be good. Nick, be appreciate fun. you, brother. Uh, yeah, well, I appreciate you, JD. We'll see you, man. Big 720. Legatron, as the streets are calling him right now <laughs> in Nashville. To answer your question, who is Alabama more likely to drop the game to? In Tuscaloosa, in the confines of Bryant-Denny Stadium to LSU, or taking the show on the road to College Station against Texas A&M? I like Texas A&M. I think they're going to be good this coming season. I think they've caught a lot of flack this offseason, and you know, quite frankly, it's, it's all well-deserved based on what they did last year. They took Bama to the wire. I mean, we saw what happened. They took Bama to the wire. Now, it was a Bryce Youngless Alabama team, but even so, they took them to the wire. But when I look at LSU, man, they scare me a whole heck of a lot more than Texas A&M does if I'm Alabama, if I'm, if I'm Nick Saban. I have that one circled. And I, I, to be real, Brian Kelly, I think, maybe uh, got some momentum last year. has got some belief right now at LSU. Now, it's very different winning in Death Valley than it would be winning at Bryant-Denny. But the mobile ability of Jaden Daniels, and if he takes another step with throwing the football downfield, I think that could be a recipe for disaster for Alabama because they got to get better in the secondary. I think they will, but they got to get better in the secondary, especially in those one-on-one situations with the ball in the air. So not predicting it right now, but I think LSU is the one, if you're an Alabama fan, that you worry about a little bit more than you would going to Texas A&M. Well, again, y'all, we appreciate you being locked in. This is a wonderful community that y'all have allowed us here to cultivate and enjoy together. I said it during that earlier segment, college football is a we thing. It's a we thing, man. There's a lot of other sports out there that we all enjoy and we think are great, but we really get to celebrate this game 365 days a year right here on this YouTube channel, on this very show, and y'all allow us to do it. So thank you so much. If you like podcasts, hey, we're on podcasts too, baby. Apple, Spotify, wherever you get them, type in the hard count with J.D. Piquel. I promise you, we will be right there. Like the video on the way out. Subscribe on the way out so you don't miss a minute. Live next week, Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern, SEC Media Days. Your boys will be there. It'll be a real good time. We love y'all. We appreciate y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling. And we'll see y'all. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.